Many of us know the latter part of this passage, but the first four verses are also applicable. It says this, My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths, what? Straight. Straight. So Thomas... Congratulations as you embark on a new chapter. We're grateful for you, the gifts that God has given you, and the message that he has given you to share with what we affectionately call the College of Knowledge. So, congratulations. We have another thing to celebrate today. Um, There is a couple, um, one here and one at Harmony, who are celebrating their 51st anniversary Richard and Sarah McAvoy. Richard, why don't you stand up and let's give you a round of applause. Perhaps that's why you stay together for 51 years, because she's there and you're here. <laughs> you know, Susan and I, sometimes when um, I've, I've, you know, talked too much at home or this or that or the other thing, she'll go, Uh, When are you supposed to go back out of town again? So how many of you can relate? Um, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Congratulations to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pause to thank you. We thank you for your perfect will. We thank you for your love for your people. We thank you that you are love. We thank you that your compassions fail not. Lord, as we lift up these prayers, we are reminded of Friday's monumental court decision of overturning Roe v. Wade. Lord, we, as your children, are taught in your scripture that we are to take care of orphans and widows and that we are to speak on behalf of the unborn child and that we, Lord, are to contend for the sanctity of human life. Because we know that you are the great creator. As David said, you knit me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, our prayer today as we celebrate that decision is that we will also have a heart for those who have been close to a mom who has had to go through a very difficult time in their lives. Help us, Father, be a loving branch of the Son, Jesus Christ, to reach out to those who are hurting. Father, we also lift up the um, Planton family and the Mahaffey family at the passing of Faustina Mahaffey. However, we know, we know that she is with Jesus, and she is more alive now than ever before. And so we ask that you will comfort us in the grief that we experience here on earth. We also lift up Charlie Elmore again, Father, asking that you will continue to heal his eye after surgery, that you will uh, care for and give love to Pat Fletcher, who continues to ask for health and strength in her life. There are three men, Lord, that are 
struggling with cancer that we specifically want to call out this morning, Earl Bayham, Carol Brown, and Ted Eshelman. Lord, we pray that you will be ever-present with them. And that, Lord, we pray for James Island Charter High School. Lord, for the families there, for the administrators there, for the faculty there, for the families that are affected and uh, involved with that high school. Lord, we lift them up to you today. We ask that all of those who are in Christ might be a light to everyone else in that community. I pray that you will use them to be a light to James Island Charter School. And Lord, we also ask that you will be a light and help us, Ashley River Baptist Church, to be a light, not only to James Island Charter School, but to every single person here in this community. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you will use us to do great things. And we pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So with that, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 15. And last week, we talked about the younger son in the parable that many call the parable of the prodigal son. However, I like to refer to it as the parable of the loving father. The parable of the loving father. And last week, as you remember, um, some of you may not, so let me just give you a quick synopsis of verses 11 through 24. This is the younger son. Now, the younger son comes to the father in verse 11, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. And his dad gives him his inheritance. What an amazing and brash kind of question to ask a father for his inheritance, even while he's still living. But then he also says, okay, son, here it is. So we see that the father gives. And then we, we learn that the son gathers all of his property together, all of his money, and he heads off to another land. And we see that the father lets him go. And then we see that the young son spends all his money, squanders his wealth, goes out and finds himself in the midst of a famine, and he now has to hire himself out to a citizen of that country so that he can make some money. And he finds himself in feeding pigs, which in Jesus' time would have been an offense to Jesus' Jewish audience. And so here he is at the lowest point of his life. All these circumstances, his choices, and all of that have hit him. And he comes to his senses. But all the while, the father was waiting. The father was waiting. And so he runs back. He rehearses. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am not worthy to be called your son. And yet, while he's still afar off, He's, his father is on that front porch. Do you remember? He was sitting on that front porch and he looked down that road and he saw his son. And he had compassion. And he ran. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. And while his son was ready to say, Dad, I am not worthy to be called your son, what does the father do? He welcomes his son. And what does he do? He then says, 
bring the best robe. Bring a ring so that I may put it on his finger. Bring the sandals for his feet and kill the fattened calf. And so we see that the father rejoices. Well, those are the first five actions of the loving father. And so we pick up here in verses 25 to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me as I read. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Well, first of all here, folks, I'm going to tell you, this must not have been a Baptist family. There's music and dancing. But let me tell you, God and all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, so put on your dancing shoes. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31 says, My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen and hallelujah. And yet we see that the context of this particular passage still remains in verses 1 and 2 of this very same chapter. Look back with me to verses 1 and 2 and let's remind ourselves why Jesus is telling this parable in the first place. It says in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. Did you all see that? To hear him. They were interested in what Jesus had to say. Compare that with the next verse. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So while Jesus is teaching, just get this idea. Jesus is over here teaching and there's this large group of people who are surrounding him. And they are super excited for him to teach them. Meanwhile, you have Pharisees and scribes sitting over in the corner of the room muttering to one another. This guy eats with sinners and tax collectors. Do you see the dichotomy here? The younger son leaves home but returns. The older son stays home but refuses to come in. The younger son longs to be his father's servant. The older son resents being his father's servant. The younger son repents 
confesses and runs to the father. The older son insists on his righteousness. The younger son comes to the father. The older son refuses to come in to the father. They are both lost. The younger son is lost outwardly. But the older son is lost inwardly. Let us look at it and see how this plays out. It's clear that Jesus is addressing both groups of people. The first group is the sinners who are gathered around to hear him. They are the younger son. The older son is who? The Pharisees and the chief priests. That is exactly right. And so Jesus here is hitting the Pharisees right where they need to be hit. He tells them that you are that older son. You're the one who is self-righteous in your own eyes. Now, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the religious elite of Jesus' day. They knew all of the Mosaic law. Do you know how many rules they came up with? 613 rules that they made sure that they and everyone followed. They are from the house of Israel. And they look back at Moses. In Exodus 19, it says this. God tells Moses and all the people, out of all nations, you will be for me a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 9, he addresses this and says how many blessings the Israelites have as God's chosen people. In fact, there are eight of them. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 9. Paul says, I could wish that I were cut off from God for my people. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Well, if you're a Jewish person in Jesus' day, you would have a lot of reason to be very proud as God's chosen people. In John, Jesus himself tells the Pharisees, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him, what? Believes in me. If anybody would recognize the Messiah, it would be God's chosen people. But over and over and over again throughout Scripture, their eyes are blinded to this truth. They are so set in their righteous way. They want to be right. We keep the rules. In verse 28, we see these words. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You know, Jonah had the similar response when God called him to that wicked nation Assyria and to the city of Nineveh. Do you realize that Jonah, what did he do when God called him to go there? 
he ran the other way. Jonah didn't want God to have a heart and compassion for sinners. Listen to what Jonah says in chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, it was wrong to him because the, actual, the Ninevites actually turned. They turned to God. <laughs> and Jonah says, this is very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God of life, a God who relents from sending calamity. And then here's what Jonah says, now take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I love the next question from the Lord. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Let that sink in. Is it right for this older brother to be angry? Is it right for the Pharisees to be angry? Is it right for us to be angry? You see the correlation all the way through. And it's interesting, Jesus himself calls out this self-righteousness to the Pharisees in chapter 5 of John. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet, and get this, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is pleading with them. Take the scales off your eyes. Take your eyes off of all your rules and come and be with me. You see, the older son refuses to come in, but then we see the love of the father displayed in the sixth action. And that sixth action is the father pleads. Go ahead and put that up on the screen, Lauren. Go all the way down to number six. The father pleads. Now the word pleads literally means, in the Greek, it's parakaleo. It means to call forth, to plead, to beg, to implore, to beseech, to entreat. That's what the father is doing. It's almost like he's coming outside and he says, listen, come here. Come on. I know, you're struggling, but come on. This is, this is good. We, we have to celebrate. And that's what he's doing. He is asking the older son to come in. You see, neither son wanted the father. They wanted what? What the father gave. Neither son wanted the father. All they wanted was what the father provided. The younger son finally came to his senses and realized that all I need is the father. But the older son is standing there 
refusing to come in. So let me ask a question. And I'm hitting myself right here, folks. Who is the father to you? Who is the heavenly father to you? It's hard to be in communion with him because he's not physically there. It's a spiritual relationship. But the question has to be answered by each and every one of us in this room. When we go to pray, do we pray for what God can give to us? I pray for health. I pray for protection. I pray for provision. I pray for a restored relationship. I pray for a new house, a new car, a new this, a new that, a new job. And we pray to get, and all of that is fine. It's all good. Jesus told us, ask, seek, knock, and it will all happen for you. But the, but the essence of prayer should be, I want to be with the Father. I want to be with my heavenly Father. And so now we have to answer the question, so why do we pray? I'm here to tell you this morning that this is a truth that it took me years and years to figure it out. We don't pray to see what we can get from the Father. The purpose, the primary purpose of prayer is to align our will with His. Our will with His. And of course, as always, we find our example in the person of Jesus Christ. On the night before his death, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is knowing, he knows that this is the last night of his life. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And friends, all of us can relate partially to that, that there is this anguish that he is feeling. He knows his death is real and it's coming. And in his humanity, he asks that question. But praise God, all of us in this room are here today. Praise God, there are millions of people around the globe right now worshiping the one true God because Jesus did not end his sentence there. The end of the sentence of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane facing Calvary were these. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is the heart of Christ to align himself perfectly to the Father. That same night he had told his disciples, as the Father and me, the Son, are one, my prayer is that you would be one. How are we one? When we align our will to the Father's will. And that is the message of the cross. We align ourselves to Jesus Christ. And so he gives the model prayer, and what does he say? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done when and where? On earth 
as it is in heaven. So the Father pleads. Our Heavenly Father pleads for us. And that leads us to the seventh action of the Father. The Father promises. Look with me in verses 29 to 32. We notice the Son's bitterness, resentment, jealousy, anger, disdain. All of it's inward. He says, look, I've been slaving for you. This is not a perfect picture of the Pharisees. I've kept the rules. I am keeping the rules. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with who? My family? No, my friends. Furthermore, he says, this son of yours, he doesn't even call him brother. Did you notice that? This son of yours, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, the Pharisees looked down their nose at sinners, and they stood tall in their own self-righteousness. But you see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. And because Jesus has fulfilled the law, then we who are in Christ are righteous. We have our right standing before God because we are in Christ. If you're outside of Christ, then there's no number of laws that you can keep. No amount of rules that you can check your box each and every day because you will fall every single day. This is the problem. Everybody wants to try to be righteous in their own eyes. When Jesus was baptized, notice what he did. He went to John the Baptist and he said, I will be baptized by you. John the Baptist, you know, humbly says, wait a minute, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, but I do this to what? Fulfill all righteousness. The entire ministry of Jesus Christ was to rightly relate to God, keep all of the law, and therefore, because we keep all of the law through Christ, then we become righteous. He imputes his righteousness to you and I. That's the good news. We don't have to labor and slave for this. This has already been done. Now imagine, if you will, how the younger brother must be thinking at this point. The older brother is outside still. We have no idea even if he knew about this party. But he hears the music and dancing. He is outside. The younger brother, he's inside and he's shaking hands and he's reconnecting with friends and family. And he's excited. But you can imagine that the younger brother is over here and he's talking to his family. And then he's like, looks up, finishes the conversation. He's like, I'm wondering... Where's my older brother? Where is he? Shouldn't he be here to celebrate? But he's not. He won't come in. What a poor older brother. But you and I, there's good news again. We have an older brother who is always with us. His name is Jesus. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, 
then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Paul goes on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. Brothers and sisters, we have a great older brother, Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. And if he is the first fruit, then there's going to come a crop after him. In Leviticus chapter 23, we learn about the festival of first fruit. That when the harvest first comes, the priest will go out, take a sheaf of grain, and wave it before the Lord, saying, Lord, you have blessed us with this first crop. Now there will come others behind it. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. And because he was raised from the dead, so will we who are in him. So therefore, the older brother failed to love the younger brother. But Jesus never fails. And now look at what the father says to him in response. Once again, the response is remarkable. My son... The father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. For this son of yours, or this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I don't know about where you are today. But I will tell you that the promises of Scripture are unfailing. My son, you are always with me. I won't let you go, is what the father says. Then he says, everything I have is yours. And then he says, my nature is to rejoice over one sinner who repents. In the front of my Bible, I keep a list. It says this. If you're out here this morning and you say, it's, it's impossible. God says, with me, all things are possible. You say, I'm tired. God says, I will give you rest. You say, no one loves me. God says, I love you. You say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. You say, I'm afraid. God says, I have given you not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of self-discipline. You say, I'm always worried and frustrated about the, the things of life. God says, cast all your cares upon me. You say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. You say, I feel alone. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the loving Father and all of the promises that come with it. 
You know, the interesting thing about this parable is that there's really no ending. It's like a cliffhanger. It ends with the father declaring, I had to celebrate, for this brother of yours was lost and is now found. It's like a cliffhanger. Jesus knew that this would really catch those Pharisees right where they needed to be. You have a choice to make here, Pharisees. Are you going to be like the younger brother, or are you going to stay in your own self-righteous anger? What about you? Has there been no resolution in your life by the Holy Father? Have you not made a decision to once and for all deal with the claims of Jesus Christ? Are you out there thinking, wow, I kind of sometimes display some of the characteristics of that older brother. Lord, forgive me. I have good news for you this morning, that God is ready and willing to help you right where you are. There's a poem that I heard back in the early 1990s from this pulpit. I tried to find it all over Google, couldn't find it. Thank goodness I kept the little cassette, the tape, and I typed it and I saved it as a Word document on my computer. The pastor's name was Ron Lewis. And this is how the poem went. I played with my blocks when I was a child. Houses I built and castles I piled. Then they all tumbled. My work was in vain. But my father said gently, let's try it again. I wasted my time when I was a lad. Why pour over books? Play, play, and be glad. Till my time was all over like last summer's rain. But my father said gently, let's try it again. I played with my soul, my soul that is I. The heart that was in me, I smothered its cry. I lulled it, I dulled it. And oh, now what pain. But my father said gently, let's try it again. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this parable of your love manifests itself even today in the hearts of men and women and children. Lord, I pray that your word penetrates the hearts of those gathered in this room and those gathered elsewhere who are listening to this via live feed. Lord, thank you that you help us to understand that you have already done the work. And our job is to be like Mary and sit at your feet. Lord, thank you for your love for us. For some of us, we're like that younger brother who's never come home. My prayer this morning is that if that person is sitting in this room this morning, they will not leave this place without settling it today. Lord, there are others in this room that they feel like that older brother 
They keep the rules. And they do the work of the church. And somehow they've allowed a, a root of bitterness to grow in their heart. Lord, I pray that you will help them through that. That they might be resting in your finished work in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, for this time as we enter a time of celebrating our relationship with you through the Son. We call it the Lord's Supper. We ask that every person who is here today, who is in Christ, who has confessed with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in his heart that he is raised from the dead, if they are saved and they are in Jesus Christ, they may partake of the Lord's Supper. So, Father, as we wrestle with those decisions, I want us to all keep in prayer just for a moment because your Apostle Paul told us that we are to examine our hearts. So, Father, we're going to take a minute. We're going to ask each person in this room to privately speak with you. Thank you, Jesus.